Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello and welcome to Almost 30, baby. Hiya, everybody. It's Lindsay and Krista. Remember when we used to say hiya? Like an I actually, I remember when people said that I never said hiya. Because you're a rebel. I'm a rebel. I'd be like, what's up? <laughs> Me and my sister, when we still talk to each other, we're like, sup? <laughs> like we will literally call each other as full-blown adults and be like, what's up? <laughs> I'm trying to think of how we... Like on AIM when we used to talk, I don't know if we did the same thing in person, but it was just kind of wild. It's like, hi, babe. Like how much time we would spend like doing like uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase. Oh, yeah. Uh Hey, I don't know what the point of that was. Like, why were we trying to express by doing that? I have no idea. Creativity. Creativity (laughs) Creativity and expression. It's just so weird. I think it's wild that I used to go into chat rooms. Mm-hmm. That were for full blown adults. They were so inappropriate. Oh, they were no on chat rooms on like AOL. On AOL. Oh, interesting. And we used to joke, like, we used to just be like kidding or pranking. I don't even know, but I'm like, wow, that was, if I think about a kid doing that now, that terrifies me, but that's yes. what I was doing. And we were just, I didn't, we didn't even know what we were doing. Dude, I had like a weird full blown boyfriend on MySpace, but like had never met him. Wow. I don't even know how old I was. Did you ever talk on the phone? Sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. Yeah. What? I talked on the phone, but it was, he, uh, total catfish. For total sure. catfish. For sure. She's like, hey, Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay, what'd well, you he, do today? What I thought he was was like this skater boy and he like had dark hair. Kind of like, Ryan he looked Cabrera? like he was like in, sim- yeah, kind of like uh-huh. Simple Plan or something. Yes, yeah. Um, had like a lip ring. I just remember my feelings where I was like, oh, he's online. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. I remember that. When your crush, the door would open and be like, <laughs> and then the door would you're close. Like, you're like, their mom came home and caught them. <laughs> my crush's Instagram name was off my crimpets. That's a good one. Isn't that a good what one? What a cool cat. I know. He was cool, but such a dick. Yeah. But I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I had a few different ones, a few different crushes, a few different names, but I remember mine was Sparkle. Oh, nice. Classic. I have no idea why. It was Sparkle without the E because the it's been taken. And there was an older guy that messaged me. He said, what's up, Spark Plug? <laughs> it was iconic. I was like... That's so good. I, I just wish I had the liberation of a totally of a boy growing up in Ohio <laughs> did at that time. Oh, but I'm Krista. This is Lindsay. We're best friends. We live on opposite coasts of the United States. We've been mm-hmm. doing this for a while, and we have a beautiful community all over the world. Super cool. Super interesting people that are always down to learn and grow and be open minded and curious in the process. So. We're so glad that you found us. We know there's other podcasts out there for sure, but we hope to make this as meaningful and interesting and fun as possible. Yeah, truly. And today's topic is one that y'all love, which is relationships. And we are bringing on some of the OGs in the space, Harville and Helen Hendricks, who are authors of a million books, but one of our favorites is Getting the Love You Want. This is one that both Krista and I have read and just found to be so super eye-opening in terms of how to navigate and be in a more conscious relationship, whether it's with a partner or with friends even. Honestly, so many of these principles apply to 
any relationship. Mm -hmm. So I spoke to them not too long ago, and it was just funny because they're a couple, and I don't know if they do the virtual thing that often, but it was it was sweet. I think they were they were kind of going back and forth between each other. <laughs> so you'll see their dynamic as well, which they talk about. So it's almost like a living example in front of us. But they were on the brink of divorce at one point in their relationship. And so this work has been something that they've studied, discovered, and practiced and created for all of us. But you love this book, right? Mm -hmm. I read it a while ago. Yeah. Imago Therapy, I first heard from Lacey probably four years ago, and she was telling me about how they use it. And yeah, it's so interesting because for me, Imago Therapy, which is, you know, the three steps are to mirror, to validate, and to have empathy or empathize. And it's like, that is the most healing thing when you're in conversation or connection with someone and they do those things. I mean, for me, that is so much of all that I need. I'm very quick to forgive. I can let go if I do feel validated, if I do feel like someone understands. And I remember that being a challenge in previous relationships where I didn't feel like they understood what I was saying or what I was going through. And I never felt like they really got it. Yeah. So it never felt done because it always felt like if you don't understand or validate what I'm feeling, how would we ever move on from something? Because I think you do need to understand or validate to be able to not do it again or, mm -hmm. you know, try and move, move from it. So the Imago therapy, which is in getting the love you want is so huge. I can also imagine it as a parent, you know, leveraging this practice with your child, you know, with someone whose little brain is developing, who doesn't really know or have control over their emotions or their experiences. And so to be able to mirror to them so they understand yes. what they're saying, to be able to validate how they're feeling and just see them in that way and then empathize. I think I'm speaking what I want for, for <laughs> I want to reparent myself with and I mm. wish I had as a child. But this type of practice and all of these principles within this book are so applicable to making our lives so much more better and fulfilling. Yes. And at first, when you approach this particular practice of Imago therapy, it feels a little like step one, step two, and kind of weird when you're doing it, when you're repeating what your partner or friend is saying. But I swear to you, this makes you a better listener. It also, I feel like, is very heart opening for both people because people feel seen, they feel heard, and they also feel the one who's listening feels connected because they're actually taking in what you're saying. I also love their work around the space between. So, you know, if we think of two people in a relationship, there is space between us. But oftentimes in conflict or challenge, we're blaming the other person and we're kind of pointing the finger or we're just so self or other focused rather than being very mindful of what we are projecting into or throwing into the space between. So that could be just a multitude of things. But the point is, and we talk about it in the episode, is to keep that space like clean and clear. So keeping the respect there, keeping the communication clear, and keeping, you know, things that have nothing to do with the relationship, but that seep into the relationship and really like poison the space between keeping that out and being mindful of that. Inevitably, it happens or wants to happen, but we have so much more control than we think. What's an example of, of something that would get in the middle? Yeah, I mean, so I think for me, so much of the beginnings of my relationship with Sean, the space between were muddied based on my perfectionism, where I thought our relationship based on 
you know, what I saw growing up in my parents, I really wanted to like have the perfect relationship. And I didn't realize that challenge in relationship, healthy conflict was okay, because I never saw it resolved. And so my perfectionism would turn into me controlling, which would totally distort the space between, would turn into having these expectations for him without communicating them. So it was things that ultimately weren't necessarily talked about, but it was like muddying the waters. It's like and the then, unconscious. Yeah. And things just get so unclear and so confusing and frustrating. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably things unsaid too, you mm, know, mm-hmm. Conscious Loving is a really great book. We had Gay on mm-hmm. and I know he talks a lot about micro truths. Yeah. So it's like, how can you tell the micro truth so that space between, because you know that feeling when you're with someone, friend, partner, family, where everything has been said, yeah. where everything has been cleared. And that sometimes can happen after even a hard conversation where it actually feels better Yeah. because the space between is completely cleared, Yeah. you know, because there's nothing between you. So that makes perfect, perfect sense. So this is such a great one for anyone in a relationship looking to get into a relationship or anyone that wants to improve their relationships that are not romantic. I think this will be really, really mm-hmm. helpful. And I highly recommend getting the book as well. It's such a great one. Yeah. And they have also books for singles as well. Keeping the Love You Find is one that I recommend to my sacredness of being single girls all the time. And then if you're married, making marriage simple is a great one. It's just like very, very, very simple. 10 easy little truths that you can be reminded of in marriage. How uh, sacredness? Sacredness is amazing. So basically you can self-study sacredness at any point now. And we meet on a monthly basis in like a two-hour sacred circle. So every single time we meet, the format is slightly different, though the elements, you know, are similar. Whether it's sound medicine, we sit in small groups, we talk in the large group, and we really bring in topics and conversations, whether it's from our threads in Kajabi or from the program itself. And I'm always talking to people, whether it's in the DMs, about just things that are really relevant in their single season. So I usually start with like a very prominent topic and then we just let it flow from there. But it's just so nice to be in community. It's nice for the girls to feel, yeah, I mean, truly less alone because it can feel so isolating at times. But the energy is high, like vibes are, I feel like people are more empowered than ever to really be on their path. And it's really, really cool. So I feel like we feed off of one another in the group, but it's amazing. So you can join at any time. Mm, Sacredness of Being Singles, Lindsay's signature program, changing the lives of so many women all over the world that you can join now in the live circles happen monthly, which is really Mm -hmm. beautiful to connect in community and heal together with your singles. Mm. If this episode really resonated with you, it would mean so much to us if you shared it with a friend or maybe family member, maybe even your partner, this would be a good one to kickstart some conversation and be sure you're subscribed the show we have new episodes every single week so be sure to get them in your inbox we love you guys almost 30 podcast on tiktok and instagram almost30.com courses programs blogs the about all of that and we're so grateful you're part of our lives and community thank you for subscribing and sharing this with a friend to start a conversation we love you enjoy enjoy Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. 
I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. Okay, this app has been with me through seasons of wanting to prevent pregnancy and also get pregnant. The app is Natural Cycles. It is a leading women's health company that they created the world's first FDA-cleared birth control app. So the app's algorithm uses hormone-driven changes in body temperature to let users know when they're fertile and not fertile. It is so easy, y'all. Every single morning I wake up, I have the uh, thermometer on my bedside table, and then I take my temperature, I input the temperature into the app, and boom, there you go. Um, it is 93% effective with typical use and 98% effective with perfect use. It's pretty incredible. Um, I know a lot of people are just thinking about their birth control. Uh, a lot of people are going off hormonal birth control. This is an incredible incredible, incredible option for you. I've been using it for a couple years now. Um, and again, it is so easy. So the algorithm uses the body temperature to determine where a user is at in their cycle. The more they measure, the more data it will have. Um, and if you have an aura ring, by the way, it syncs with your aura ring and it'll take your temperature automatically. Pretty cool. You can trust Natural Cycles for the past 10 years. They have been setting the precedent for non-hormonal and non-invasive birth control without sacrificing effectiveness. They were the first to introduce a birth control app, the first to receive FDA clearance as a birth control app, and the first birth control app to integrate with that wearable device, the Aura Ring. They're the best. I'm excited for you all. Listen. 
as our listener, you are going to get a discount plus a free thermometer gravy. Use code almost 30 at naturalcycles.com to get 15% off an annual subscription plus a free thermometer. That's naturalcycles.com. You're going to use the code almost 30 to get 15% off an annual membership and a free thermometer. I'm really excited to sit down because your work has deeply, deeply impacted me and my now husband. We have used your books for our couples book club. And I told him that I was talking to you today and he was really, really excited. We've known each other for 10 years, but didn't date back then and reconnected about three years ago. We're long distance for a year and a half, got engaged a year ago, and we just got married a couple months ago. Oh, and wow. I know. I know. It's so, It's been quite a quite a ride. And, you know, what you just said and demonstrated right in front of me was the importance of that silliness. And we're now reading Making Marriage Simple. Yeah. That's our new book club book since we're married now. But one of the truths that you share is that your marriage is a laughing matter. And I just loved that so much. <laughs> By the way, I'm the one that recommended Making Marriage Simple, that we do a book like this. I said, Harville, the truck driver is never going to read Getting Love You Want. And let's say low-income families, like say there's a janitor and he's married and or a, a nurse at a hospital and da, 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 or something and she's not paid very much. So she doesn't have time to read. And once the book came out, I was told that CEOs of businesses don't have time to read Getting Love You Want. <laughs> and a simple book helps them breeze through and they got the point. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's kind of how I pitched it to my husband because I'm like, okay, listen, we loved Getting the Love You Want and I know you have a busy new job. So this is what we're going to tackle next. And I loved all the truths, but... I would love to start there with the silliness, the lightness, the laughing, the humor, and just how you've experienced that cornerstone in your own relationship and why it's so important. Because life is so serious at times, and we yeah. kind of lose the plot on why we're in relationship with one another. So I would love to explore that. The first thing I want to say about your question is that... The uh, interesting thing is the we do keep up with research that, that other people are doing as well as, as our own. And the last piece of research about humor in relationships is that the, I, I think they call it the highest level of thriving for couples or couples who have the highest level of thriving are the ones who can spontaneously play. And so when we saw that research, we wondered, why spontaneous play? I mean, that's different from going to play tennis where you make an appointment and you're going to do a structured game. But this is not that kind of play. This is spontaneous play where you are you don't have a game. You're just playing with each other. So we've figured out why that's possible, and which is that a thriving relationship has one feature, and that's safety. And if you don't feel safe with your partner, you're not going to be spontaneous and initiate play. You're going to monitor them to see what you can do without getting into trouble. So, But if you're safe, you can walk in the room and say, hey, baby, uh, or, <laughs> or if, 
it's like you know that old thing of what what you got cooking what about cooking something up for me or helen likes to begin a dance and there's music usually going on in our kitchen so she'll pull me into moving with the with that but you could do that only if you feel safe and if you can't do that then it raises the question how are you scaring each other so that you have to sort of figure each other out before you know what you want to say. So neuroscientists have documented that the brain can't be anxious and have fun at the same time. So at one point, Harvey and I almost divorced, and part of what got us to change our minds is we realized I was from a family that never had fun, and Harville... Mm -hmm. He was from a sharecropper's from South Georgia. And living, working in the cotton fields all day long, they didn't have fun. And that we never played Monopoly together or board game or nothing in um, either of our families or watch funny movies. And so we had this marriage and family where both of us were very serious about this or that or the other so then when we finally polarized a lot and decided we, we, we hate to teach healthy relationships and not have one ourselves, and we got our divorce papers mm -hmm. and announced to our family we were divorcing, and they went, oh, at last, thank you. It was a blended family. And then we announced it to a few others. Suddenly, we realized, honey, why don't we, one of us said, why don't we try to have more fun? And we decided to get Groucho Marx glasses. I don't know if only old people know what that is, but it's a black glasses with a rubber nose and mustache. And both yes. of us put on the Groucho Marx glasses at night and told each other jokes mm -hmm. after six o'clock. We decided we're not going to bring up problems after six o'clock. We can make an appointment to handle a problem at nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, for 35, not after six. And after six, you have dinner and have fun for the evening and you go to bed feeling relaxed. When you tell that story, I'm just impressed with how pathetic we were. <laughs> Here is my thought. I have said, and you've heard me say, we tell this story about our almost divorcing at every Getting Love You Want workshop that we do. And I always say it's a high point of the workshop because I don't want any of the couples that are attending the workshop to roll their eyes and think, oh yeah, Harville and Helen can do the four things that create safety and the Imago dialogue process because they're relational and I'm married to a jerk and that person won't ever do it. And da, 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 or that other person thinking, I, and my partner's never gonna do this. Well, it's not that we're relational either. We just didn't have as much fun as we should have. I don't want anyone to think they're the hopeless couple because we thought we were hopeless. <laughs> and guess yeah. what? We're still rocking and rolling. <laughs> That's incredible. They really. With you. It's yeah. phenomenal and it's so inspiring and some things don't change. I, I do believe that's a lot of couples still now tend to focus on what is wrong, what they don't have, and the negative overall. And, you know, I love, I have like four of your books in front of me. So I'm like, which one talked about energy follows attention? 
I'm sure all of them do at one point or another, but it's so true. And so this play, which, you know, requires that safety, feels like an opening. Anytime that I'm able to play with my partner, which is very often, and we often say to each other, I'm so glad we can be silly together, you know, just kind of that acknowledgement of like, this is such a gift. And I feel so good when we're in this state. I am thinking about now in real time, like what got me to that place? So can you walk us through how partners can create a safe place for one another to play, to be silly, to be themselves, to really be who they are in any moment with their partner and feel safe to do so. I'll throw out one thing. Structure helps because then you need to show up in a dependable way or your partner, you know, if there's clarity. I'm just going to throw out one idea. Okay. This too was my idea that what about if we get a 30-day calendar and on the odd day of the month, it's my job to make sure we go to bed connected. If there's any rupture during the day, I must, no matter how mad I am, I must stop and go fix Harville a cup of decaf and sweeten it exactly like he wants it. I have a foamer of hot milk, and or I go and get him a rose, give him a rose or some chocolate, and just go, honey, sorry, you know, if there was any problem today, I'm really going to try to do better tomorrow. And on the even days of the year, the 2nd, the 4th, the 8th, the 10th, it's Harville's job. By the end of the day, it's his job to be there mm-hmm. for me. And this, we tell every couple, one of you is the maximizer and one is the minimizer. And opposites attract. And but and so in the marriage, one of you is thinking, I do this for our marriage. I do that for that our marriage. And the other person mm. just feels flooded. Yes. And the minimizer goes, I just forget it. Or maybe it's yes. their Enneagram or something. But it, regardless of their Enneagram number or whatever, if they are on the even days or the odd days, they have to do their job. Yeah. So I want to respond to the a more technical sense about what, create safety. And it's actually a very challenging thing to create safety because, and and it just occurred to me, I want to do a sort of a historical two or three sentences about the brain. Helen talks about, usually talks about the brain, but that we as a species, as human species, developed a paranoid brain over the millions of years before we developed civilization and had uh, security forces and police forces and buildings with locks on the door. The brain always operated with this question in mind. Is the person coming down the path or the noise that I just heard in the forest going to kill me or not? The brain had to always ask this question, which is called neg- it's a negativity. And since it was more often than not going to hurt you, then you had to predict that you had to protect yourself. So we have fundamentally a, a paranoid brain, which is still operating, although we're now in, a, in civilization and in structures of safety, structures of security. But you know around the world today, there's war going on and then all the political stuff going on so that, that we just can't assume safety. So Helen and I have been working on how do we make 
safety happen given the way the brain is structured. And what occurred to us about 30 years ago, and you've seen it in our books, is the dialogue process. And what we say to everybody is you have to learn how to talk differently. That the fundamental way, along with that brain developing, whether or not it was going to survive, it also did not develop listening capacities other than for signals of danger or mating. Those were the two things Mm -hmm. you had to listen for. Is this going to be a mate or is this going to be an enemy? And so listening as a capacity did not evolve over historical time. But talking did, because you had to talk, you had to make noise, and language became more and more the way, form of interaction. But along with the evolution of language, listening did not evolve. So that right now, research recently done on listening accuracy is that all of us start off with a 70% distortion rate and that you get only 30% of what somebody is saying while they're talking. And that's for a lot of reasons. You're not sure what they're going to say. You're also running your own story. You may have had a bad day. But overall, it's a 30% accuracy rate. So listening. So we developed this uh, dialogue process. And in fact, Helen sort of invented that on the spot one day in 1977 wow. when we had first met. I don't think we'd gotten to the dating point. We were just interacting, doing some things together, and later on began to actually, quote, date. But we, even before we started dating, we had an intense negative relationship. That is, we argued most of the time, disagreed with each other most of the time. The first night that I took Helen out to dinner, she didn't like the restaurant. And then I didn't like the way she told me she didn't like the restaurant. And, and I consider that dating. But, yeah, but, but, it, we, but the dates weren't fun. <laughs> we Good go to, to her house because we're both single. And she has a house. She's a single parent. I'm a single parent. We go mm-hmm. to her house. We're still in this argument. And all of a sudden, Helen says, stop. One of us talk. One of us listen. And take turns. And it calmed us down. And I'm a therapist at that point. I have a clinical practice with couples. And we were doing a type of couples therapy that was conflict resolution, problem solving, and cognitive, figure out how to do things better, which had only 40% success rate. So it wasn't a good form of couples therapy anyway. And I realized that this calmed me down We did do what Helen said, took turns, and we weren't doing mirroring. We just took turns talking. But I took it to my practice and set couples up. In fact, turned them for the first time and said, y'all look at each other. Mm. Now one of you talk and the other one talk. And then I began to ask them, "How so how is this working for you? Because that was radical. Because usually they look to the therapist and the therapist And they tell the therapist the story and the therapist then interacts. What do you think about what Mary is saying? Or how do you react to that, Peter? And all of which, and now I look back as worthless, worthless kind of therapy. But talking like this. So I kept asking them what else. So the long story is that couples began to fill in the blanks. I would like for him to tell me what he's hearing. So I came up ultimately with the word mirroring. Helen and I would talk about So when they started mirroring each other back, and that finally evolved into, I'd like for them to see my point, you know, to do validation. Am I making sense? And maybe express empathy. That took about, I don't know, six or eight years 
for all of those pieces to emerge as the dialogue process. So now we would say to the question of safety, you have to give up monologue, which is what Helen and I were doing. We were doing parallel monologue, yelling at each other. But then when we went to to just one talking, the other talking, that was still parallel monologue. We just weren't yelling. But you got to move to the point that what is sent is mirrored back accurately. And when I hear back from you that you are getting what I'm saying, that regulates my neurochemistry so that my cortisol level goes down and my endorphin level begins to go up so that I have a neurochemical change. When I have that change, I'm beginning to feel safe with with Helen or whoever. So we then built into that it is a prescription. If you want a great relationship, you don't have an option. You have to give up monologue, parallel monologue. You certainly have to give up yelling at each other, taking turns yelling at each other. And you have to go into talking and listening in a specific way. And the definition is that it becomes a safe conversation, which is talking without criticizing. And you know how hard that is, because usually we talk and we have a little edge. You need to really hear this. Listening (laughs) without judging, which means when your partner's talking, you're usually running a little narrative about that didn't make any sense. Wonder where he got that. You have to listen without judging, meaning you have to turn off your internal engine, turn it off and start receiving without thinking about it. Just receive it and connecting then. And that's the only way you can connect beyond your differences. And in fact, difference is the only thing we disconnect about. That's the only problem couples have is inability to accept each other as different or to accept differences. Like, is it hot in here? Well, no, it's not hot in here. It's cold. No, it's hot. We have a difference and we can fight over that. But the fight is not about the temperature. It's about who's right. And it's that simple. It's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that it's that simple. But safety is the ability to engage in a dialogical process. Then there are three other steps that we'll get to because that's the central question. If I could just talk about it's simple. It's simple. I call Harville a genius at simplifying the complex. And he Mm. does. And let me just say one thing about what he just said about dialogue. Very first and very quickly, when we teach these days, we tell people we have a new definition of a relationship. It's not a person and a second person with a history. It's We take pains to say it's two people and the space between, Mm -hmm. and people go, well, that's stupid, nothing's there. The space between is energy. And it's not the words... It's the way Harville looks at me and his tone of voice and his facial expression. And it's not my words only. It's do I look at him with a loving look? And then he relaxes. So it's nothing either of us said. It's things that do impact the energy field between us, even though and so we have to teach them about that. But the last thing is a cartoon I drew recently. A psychiatrist heard a workshop that we did in a public space, and she flew to Dallas, where we live, and she went back to University of Penn and called us. And she said, in the psychiatry departments, we're not allowed to have family members be with the psychiatric patient. So I really enjoyed 
what I learned from you, because I think we should include family when someone is that anxious or suicidal. But basically, she said, for the first time listening to the two of you, the relational sciences are teachable. So we teach dialogue, but the only other person that had used dialogue was pretty famous. Everyone, he lived in 300 BC and everyone knows his name and it's Socrates. Mm. So once upon a time in 300 BC, Socrates said a really good way to talk is have your thoughts but take in other points of view. And that's called Socratic dialogue. And the Greeks didn't like him and they put him to death. If we don't get to safety and don't get connected, we're going to, the planet's going to kill us anyway if we don't kill each other. And so we, we really have to change the value system of all of civilization, not just Western civilization, all civilization are focused on it's about me. And it's not about you. It's about us. We are mm. a one humanity and we all live on the same planet and we need to be united in our relationship to our little home here or it's going to burp one day real loud and we're going to be gone and that may come before we kill each other off. Anyway, so that's the dialogue process that is necessary for safety. Okay, small daily actions. Ah, they just make a big difference. And I just cannot emphasize this enough. It creates this cascade effect and honestly a snowball effect. <laughs> so one begets the next really great positive small action, but it almost has like a bigger impact as the day, as the week goes on. Um, and I'm just someone who very much believes in this, whether you're like smiling at a stranger or maybe you wake up a little bit earlier to practice your meditation or maybe read part of the book that you're loving, uh, or maybe you integrate a healthy habit like taking a probiotic, which is something that I've been doing for a few years now. I've been taking Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic, and I love it. And I've just noticed that this is the catalyst at the beginning of the day for a ton of healthy choices that I make. Um, and I've noticed a difference when I don't take it. Um, I forgot on vacation a few months ago and I noticed a difference. I was bloated. I wasn't as regular. I started to get a little breakout on my chin. Things were just going haywire. Um, so I'm just so thankful for seed. If you are someone who wants to support your gut or your skin digestion, your gut barrier integrity, oh, I recommend seed. Their DSO-1 daily symbiotic is incredible. What is different about Seed? So Seed's patented capsule and capsule design is so unique. It basically means that the fragile bacteria within the capsule can survive the journey. So from like shipping to your door to when you put it in your body all the way through your GI tract, um, all without synthetic or chemical coatings. Um, and this was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome. They're the best in the space. Um, so I just, I trust them and I've experienced incredible results. So trust your gut with Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash almost and use the code 25almost to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash almost. The code is 25almost. 
Oh, y'all, I am wearing my shorts and my skirts and my dresses and my legs are out and I'm just so excited about it because I have my Osea Andaria Algae Body Oil and it is keeping me glowing. <laughs> it's making my legs and my arms look just so fresh, so alive, to be honest, and so young. Um, I love this product. It is from Osea Malibu. They just know what they're doing over there. They've been doing it for over 28 years. Skincare is their jam. It's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and is clinically proven, okay? It's infused with seaweed, which is the star of the show here, and I just love the products. They really work. So the body oil is so rich, but it's never greasy, Okay, and it's clinically proven to improve skin elasticity immediately. It's visibly firming your skin and makes the skin feel more sculpted and toned, which we love. It's so amazing. Overnight, you can do this during the day or overnight. I do it overnight, but I love the Andaria Algae Body Butter because I would just wake up so insanely moisturized. It's indulgent and it's really great for crepey skin. I'll put it on my knees and my elbows and anywhere that's like kind of dry. It's clinically proven to hydrate for 72 hours. It just transforms the skin. You're going to be obsessed. And then finally, the anti aging body balm. Yo, I mean, hello silky lotion serum. It just melts into my skin. I feel like it lifts and tightens and tones all over. I'm obsessed. Perfect for summer, baby. So glow from the inside out with clean vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code A30POD at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order. They're so good about that. And free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code a 30pod, A30pod for 10% off. The second point is you have to give up negativity. Negativity, that brain that's paranoid, has to change so that its first thought isn't, am I safe with you? The first thought is going to be, am I safe for you? Am I the one bringing safety to this relationship? So we change the perceptual focus from are you safe for me to am I safe for you? And in order to be safe for your partner, you have to give up negativity, meaning seeing the partner as doing things wrong or being a bad person. And some couples just have this monitoring each other all the time to see, yes. you know, you did that wrong and why didn't you come home earlier? And, the, you know, the chickens were out and you didn't pick up the egg. Whatever we find wrong, we can make the other person bad and we want them to feel bad. So they'll change and be the way we want them to be, which means they are not themselves anymore. They are a copy of our fantasy. And you see, that's really sick, but it's a cultural and global sickness that we want our partners to be like we want them to be, not like they are. So we have to give up negativity. And Helen, as we're working on this and we revised it actually two or three years ago, that we have to add a piece called empathy. Empathy means I get it, what it's like for you to be you. And that must feel really awful. And I can imagine when that happened, you must have you know, got scared or you cried or wanted help or something. Empathy, it means seeing what it's like for your partner to be him or her. And and your partners act out 
like they behave badly. And then we get triggered by them behaving badly. And then we behave badly. And then you both are behaving badly. So empathy is when your partner behaves badly and triggers you, that you train yourself to go curious instead of reactive and wonder how what is happening to my partner. And we figured out what's happening when your partner is reacting. They are a memory from their childhood has been triggered in the relationship and they are behaving out that wounded child in the relationship. So if you can go and say, wow, so that's what's going on. So that must really feel terrible when I did that. Then don't go into apology. Don't go into, you know, I wish I could have done that must have felt awful when I did that. And I can imagine that you blah, 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 blah. You're now giving the partner what they didn't get when they were little which if they had gotten it, they wouldn't be reacting that way. So that's what we call the healing process, Mm -hmm. is you have to go to empathy. And then you have to go to the fourth point, which is affirmation. And this is really big, because this is where I affirm you being you Mm -hmm. because you exist, not because you do anything for me or because of what you've done for the world. You exist. You're valuable. It's built into you to be valuable. The universe gave you to yourself. And for me to criticize you is to criticize what the universe created. So to affirm your being as intrinsically valuable, independent of our relationship or what we're doing for each other, is the fourth thing. And we consider this as the highest level of human consciousness, is to be able to say, your being is of ultimate value. And it's my responsibility to honor your being and to affirm you in being. I just want to mention that we just got off a Zoom meeting with two people who became interested in imagotherapy and love safe conversations. And they created a university in South Korea where they're training other people in imago dialogue, but they love safe conversations. And we were we just got off three hours ago, and they said everyone in South Korea has to do safe <laughs> conversations. They want to do wow. it, and we're going to teach the whole country. And then in Liberia, someone brought it to Liberia. It was for high school principals and high school teachers to take it to safe conversations to the schools. Mm. Well, it began to spread. The parents did it. The heads of the government do it. And they're singing songs about safe conversations going to change the world. They've gone to sound. <laughs> anyway, they've done things. And in oh. South Korea, they're singing and dancing, mm-hmm. singing. Wow. And then Kenyatta University. Anyway, they're interesting countries. And pretty soon, the United States, you know, we really think in the perfect timing, it's going to spread here and beyond. Yes. Yeah. Makes me emotional That's- thinking about where it's going to be in schools, teaching children. And it's, you know, it's so important that it's starting in the home. So if we're speaking about couples who are raising children who are then going off to work and perhaps practicing this at work, it really does start in the home. It's the micro of the macro. But that is so incredible that this is happening all around the world, slowly but surely. You know, for those that are listening that are unfamiliar with Imago, I know you've talked about this a million times, but it is a cornerstone of your work. So I would just love to give a little bit of an overview 
of Imago because once I started to learn about this and started to see it within my own relationship and relationships, whether friendship or intimate relationship, it was so it illuminated so much and really set me free because I found myself in these patterns and just loops of thought, belief and behavior that were super destructive for myself and relationships. So the awareness set me free. So could you just describe what Imago is? Well, yes. And, and let me do it in, in two different ways. Imago, the word itself, is the Latin word for image. And that's the most simple definition. But what is it the image of is what gets it into the theory. And here is our theory, is that when all of us were infants and all, all the way up in, the, in our interaction with our caretakers, the infant brain is recording the parents, and i.e. making a picture of them. And we know from the studies that child psychologists do with infants, especially developmental psychologists, that the infant is recording the parents so that they that's their way of becoming oriented to the world. It's through the parents. So they know that these parents, without thinking about it, they just know instinctually from birth on, fed, warm, cared for, loved, touched, and so forth. And in other words, all the needs are met. They also record the needs that are not met. And those needs can be anything from not getting enough touching, to not getting enough warm words, to not being held. And we summarize to, it either intrusive or neglect. Right, intrusive or neglectful caretaking. <clears throat> so this camera that's running in the brain is recording these images. And, and those images are of the caretakers. And we use caretaker because sometimes it's not the parents because their parents died or there was something happened. So whoever's taking care of them, the brain's recording that. And what it records and is most interesting to the infant, without the infant thinking about this, is the caretaker who does not meet the need the infant has. Because that means something really significant is not going on. Mm -hmm. And that caretaker may be intrusive, like smothering you and Paying too much attention, too much control. Well, or saying, you or, should be doing this. You, right. No, you do not like uh, chocolate milk. You like white milk. It's yeah. healthy milk. And they, it tells you, they tell the kid what they should think mm. and feel. Or the caretaker may be paying no attention. So mm. the child cries and nobody responds. There's a need that's not met. So this memory, this is now memory. And this memory has fundamentally... The need not being met in childhood is connected to survival, so it doesn't get dispensed with as the child grows up. It, For some reason, the brain carries this into adulthood, and it becomes a template. This is a picture that, that we all use to scan the environment for whoever matches our picture of the caretakers who did not meet our needs, because that's where the need is. And when this is a thing that I mean, we finally figured out, this is logical. The brain it looks crazy, but the brain picks a person to fall in love with who's similar to the caretakers who didn't meet the needs. And the reason is that when I see that person, I have this, oh, my God, there's I get all these endorphins, which is called romantic love. There's the one who's going to meet all the needs 
that, of course, you don't have this thing it's, going on in your mind. You don't, unconscious. You don't know what's going on. Mm. It's unconscious. But boy, does it feel wonderful. And eventually you date, get engaged, you get married. and you have, But you come with a set of unconscious expectations that, Lindsay, you're going to meet my needs. And the need is going to be the one mommy didn't meet. And in my case, it's responding to me when I'm crying or when I need something. Because my mother, I had this image, I was sitting on the floor. My mother had nine children. I was the last. She's cooking. I'm crying. She doesn't pay attention to me. And I cry until I'm exhausted. So that's a memory. And you grew up in a family where you don't respond like that. Because you got responded to in a way that wouldn't make you naturally, easily respond to a person in distress. So you can imagine then, and I'm going to have the same thing. When you send your signal, I'm not going to respond to you because I want you to respond to my signal. So that puts us in the power struggle. Mm. So the imago, the image, functions in the selection process unconsciously. And then since the expectations are not met, that leads us then into the conflict and the power struggle. And that leads us then into the need for Helen and me or for a therapist, or for the books that you're reading, to know that's what's going on, and hey, this can be fixed. Because what you have to do is to each other create a family, a relationship, that would be like the family you did not have, but the one you should have had, which you had, you wouldn't come into adulthood with these needs unmet, and looking for them in adulthood. So that's the imago, and imago therapy is helping couples use the dialogue process to get clear with each other about what that all that is and what I'm needing in our relationship, what you're needing in our relationship for us to not trigger those painful childhood memories, but in fact to create new memories of all the needs being responded to. So that's a short version of all the 10 books that we've written on this. I know, truly. It's incredibly, like I said, just liberating. However, you know, I've observed many couples. I grew up being raised by a couple that I feel like was definitely exhibiting the image of the caretaker in the other. But what happens when there is a, I guess it is the power struggle, a resistance to mm-hmm. being what the other essentially needs in order to heal that part of them. Is there hope there? One of the things is the person who wants their partner to really be there for them needs to make sure their partner knows that they also are wanting to understand what is it that you need from me? Basically, I realized over time and say this in our workshops, a couple is they go to the person who has the marriage license and the marriage license person says, okay, I've said these words, you are now married. May you live happy ever after. And you give the $20 and you go, bye. Well, you go home and you think, we're married. So you want, you love me, right? Absolutely. So you want to do what I want, right? Oh, I didn't realize I was signing up for that. Yeah. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you said you love me. Yeah, so I love so you. I thought What this, do you need? I thought this I'll year for everything. vacation we would just stay at home. 
and watch Let movies on TV. <laughs> and Harville wanted to see the world, and I wanted to rest <laughs> on our vacations yeah. and watch the world on TV. And he wanted to see the world. We argued and argued, and finally we got a motorhome. But everyone goes home, and no one tells them, you should learn some things yeah. once you mm-hmm. get home. Getting a marriage license should be like a driver's license. To get your driver's license, you have to get practice, pass a test, parallel park. They said, yes, that was correct. You parallel parked in the boundaries and the da-da-da. And then, okay, you pass the test. Here's your driver's license. And we think that they should hear a summary or watch this video (laughs) and then take a manual and then say, what do you do when you go home? And if they fail the test, they have to watch your video again. And they have to say what you do when you go home is, hey, let's take turns. And every day you make sure you've been a great Mm. partner to me. The next day I'll make sure I'm a great partner for you. I want to do what you want. And the day before you will have done what I want. Yeah, well, the sad thing about it is, as you know, 50% of the people in America divorce, meaning when they hit this power struggle, they don't find their way through it. And then they marry a second time, but having not solved the problem, they repeat it. And so, because your unconscious mind has got something it needs, and until it gets it, it keeps changing partners, but keeping the problem. And then... The only, I think the statistics recently that I saw was about 10% of people naturally know how to take care of each other. So that means from 20, from 10 to uh, uh, 30% or 40% of the people who stay married live in a struggle, which is the power struggle. And they are the people who go to therapy, but only 10 or 12% of them go to therapy. So the resources that have become available in the last hundred years to deal with this are used by a minimal number of people. Yes. But, but there is hope. And the hope is what Helen spontaneously created in her living room, which is couples learn to share with each other what it was like to be a child in my family. Mm-hmm. And you want to do that so that in my case with Helen, I want to be sure that I don't trigger those feelings that she had in her family as a child and vice versa. And as we do this, then we create new memories for each other. And eventually we're not so triggered by that memory because it's pushed way in the background of the, the hippocampus, the library of memories. It puts it on the back shelf and on the front shelf of all these new memories. But you, it's a skill. You have to deliberately and intentionally do it. But the point is, you can, and it's not all that mysterious. Do the four things we're talking about. Learn Mm -hmm. how to dialogue, Mm -hmm. drop negativity, practice empathy, and affirm each other, and you'll create a safe relationship. And eventually, you'll have a whole new basket full of memories, and your life will be wonderful. Mm -hmm. You just made a comment when you said the memories get triggered. The last thing we say to a couple that you haven't gotten us to say in this hour is if you want to have a healthy relationship, those of you who do, look at a simple book on brain science. And the way we talk about the brain in our workshops is 
It's a 2.8-pound organ in your skull that is considered the most complicated organ in the universe. So we don't try to explain what the brain is, but we say, the neuroscientists say the brain can be simplified into the lower brain, which is a reactive brain, and it's keeping you alive. And its job is to keep you alive, and we call that brain the crocodile So you've got a crocodile brain, and if your partner is doing something that's going to hurt you, you want to snap at them. Or if you do something that you didn't know, da-da-da, but suddenly your partner is yelling at you. Well, couples struggle if the two crocodiles are going off all the time. We teach the couple there's a crocodile brain. There's a part of the brain called the wise owl. And the brain can be described as a crocodile or a wise owl. The wise owl is the neocortex. That is the part of the brain that thinks, not reacts. Mm -hmm. There's left brain thinking. The architect in the room you're in or a doctor is left brain. The right brain is a, a gut instinct intellect that you intuitively know things And between the two is the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex where you don't know, you wonder about things. And the neuroscientists say that's the healthiest brain because it promotes neural integration. Mm -hmm. You want to have a healthy brain and sleep better at night. When you wonder, your brain releases dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, Mm -hmm. and it's relaxing (laughs) brain chemicals that put you to sleep at night Whereas the crocodile brain, it's adrenaline and cortisol, Mm. and it makes you anxious. If you just had an argument before you go to bed, you probably didn't sleep. And that's because of all the adrenaline that all night Mm. is running through your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, done that. And been it's, there, done that. <laughs> been there, done too. that. In, in past That's relationships, true. that was definitely a trend. But thank you for giving us the brain science because our audience certainly is interested in the science behind things. So I appreciate that. I am juggling quite a bit lately. <laughs> I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. 
I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus, and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L-threonate. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood-brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. I did want to speak to also those that are not in a romantic relationship who are desiring to be in a relationship. I actually support women who are in their single season. I was single for seven years before I reconnected with my now husband and it's called the sacredness of being single. And so we're constantly having these dialogues around this season and the importance of it when you're in it. Cause so many of us want to wish our way out of it and really find the mm. relationship finally. And when we have the relationship, we're going to be happy and we're going to be complete. And so I guess what would you say to those that are single and are, you know, wanting, desiring a committed partnership? Yeah. Where can their focus flow? Because I think sometimes we focus so much on the other person and what you should be in order to be loved and accepted. So where can they focus in order to find, yeah, find true partnership. So I want to make a comment about this, and it's just purely self-serving. They -hmm. should read Keeping the Love You Find, a guide for singles. I have that one too. You got that one too. And and the reason I'm saying that is less about selling the book as it is about what the book says. And in it, we propose that when you're single, that you create what we would call a utilitarian relationship. And that is to hook up with somebody in, and I don't mean in the old hookup sense, but relate to somebody and make an agreement that you're going to practice the skills Mm. of relationship. You don't have to fall in love, be in love. You just, because ultimately, if you don't learn the skills of relationship, when you do fall in love, you're going to go in the power struggle. And the thing is, whatever skills you have, when you fall in love, the expectations are still going to be there. And you'll be tempted to go into that polarization. You owe me this. But you will know not to do that. You'll know what to do if you create utilitarian relationships. And so just make an agreement. We're going to learn dialogue, zero negativity. Imagine if when you finally fell in love, you were had committed to and had become really practiced in zero negativity, mm-hmm. that you don't put people down. And practice. That would change uh, everything. Practice mm-hmm. having fun. I want to do something very specific. I know we're running out, but give a very yeah. practical advice. Great. So assigning a whole book is like overwhelming and having utilitarian relationships and blah, blah, blah is still uh, not specific enough, but here's what to do. You're going to learn dialogue and you should learn it like it's taught. 
not like you want to and mess around with it and be creative. Doesn't work. That's like going to take a tennis lesson and deciding you're going to swing the racket in a rather novel way. Well, you won't hit the ball. (laughs) Tennis is a science. Conversation is a science. So what we ask people to do is we have a thing called sentence stems. And when you want to, the first thing you do and learn is always make an appointment when you want to talk to somebody, which is, hey, is now a good time to talk about taking a walk or talk about going to dinner or is now a good time? And the reason for this is everybody's running their own movie. And you usually walk up to somebody and you just say, hey, you know what? It's raining outside or the blah, 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 or that somebody got killed. And this person you're talking to is watching a movie, which is their own mind. And if they're nice, they might say, oh, oh, what, what did you say? If they're not nice, they'll say, I'm busy. I'm sorry. I can't listen to you now. But anyway, you violated their boundaries. So the first thing to learn about a good relationship is boundary management. And the way to do that is to say, whenever I want to talk to you, I'm going to say, hey, is now a good time to talk? And if I do say something to you, what do you do? Or if somebody's talking to you instead of saying, waiting till they stop and then you doing your monologue, that you say, hey, let me see if I've got that. And then you say back to them, we call it mirroring, say back to them what they said. And if as a single person, you use your friends to practice the further steps in the dialogue process, which Mm -hmm. is, let me see if I got it. You mirror it back. Did I get it accurately? Remember, there's a 70% distortion rate. So you probably didn't get it accurately. So if you don't check out, you'll think you got it. So you check it out and then you do something miraculous. Instead of the other person saying, well, it's my turn to talk. Instead, you say, is there more about that? That changes everything because now the other person's going to feel that you are interested in them. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of interest triggers endorphins and relaxation and safety. Is there more about that? And the person may say, well, No. Well, wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is some more. And you mirror that back. And then when they finish, you keep mirroring. And then you say, well, so let me see if I've got everything you said, which is a summary. So if I got everything you said, you did A, B, C, and D. Did I get all that? Now, there's a lot more to learn about dialogue. But if somebody would learn those four movements Mm -hmm. as a single, when they then fall in love, they'll have the skills of relationship intact because the partner they fall in love with is not going to know how to do dialogue. But if you do, you will say to this new person, hey, it's now a good time to talk about like, where would you like to go for dinner? And you're at dinner and this guy talks or this gal talks and you say, hey, let me see if I'm getting that. And you mirror them back. You now are practicing skills that would save the world if everybody talked Mm -hmm. that way. So we would say singles learn dialogue on the way to the altar. And when you get to the altar, when the stuff goes bad, you'll know what to do and it'll be okay. But if you don't do it, you're going to do like everybody else. You're going to go through a huge power struggle. Life is going to be miserable and you're going to 50% of you're going to divorce 
and the other 40% are going to have miserable relationships and only 10% are going to function normally. And they came up in healthy families, really healthy families who knew how to do all this. Yes. I have a last comment for the couple who's a couple. Yeah. So we forgot Mm -hmm. to tell you the space between if ever your partner is doing something and it doesn't feel safe, there's anxiety and you don't like what happened. We advise a married couple to use a code word to let their partner know, like, why did you say that? Or I can't believe you're not using dialogue. Or, but just have a little code word to say that didn't feel very good to me. And we started with the word ouch, but ouch sounded negative. So if Harville does something and it feels negative to me, the code word he wants me to use is watermelon. Watermelon, Harville. And mine is marshmallow. But then we really do use these these days. We, if ever Harville wakes up and I see him in the morning and his eyes sort of are occupied with a dream or da-da-da and he sort of looks at me, I go LL and he will go to me, loving, loving, look. loving look, or you will, <laughs> and he'll go to me VT, which is voice tone. And we have little code oh. words. And over the holidays, you're going to be doing twin different things. And a lot of times you're being real loving, but your voice tone might not be very loving. Yes. And the look in your eye might not be. And you're the other person's tired of seeing that look or the voice tone. Well, don't just stuff it inside. Express it in a lighthearted yes. way. Yeah. And the person, it's sort of like training a dog. I've never used that analogy before. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it definitely is. And in a, you know, I say that lovingly because to your point, we're all in our own worlds and it's very yeah, hard to always be aware. Exactly. And also my husband tells me all the time, he's like, I'm not a mind reader. He's like, you know, I'm not in this to play guess and check with you, like just let me know because I want to know and, and it helps say, me. L, L, the most healthy thing a married couple can do at this stage is convert a frustration into a request. Do yes. not go to your partner with a frustration. Yes, yes. I love, I love that piece. I could tell you something that happened a couple hours ago and this is how I wish you had done it. And he might be busy. And he goes, well, I can't hear it now, but I'll hear it tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm, and I'll mm-hmm. knowing that he'll be totally focused. And I'll yes. tell him tomorrow morning, today, so when important. you da-da-da, you da-da-da. The hard thing for couples who are either dating or early married or in romantic stage or in the power struggle to get is that we do not naturally know how to relate to another human being. Mm. And when we get that clear, then we know you have to learn how to do that. And it's called a skill. So get over it being romantic. The skill, the romance is a result of the use of a skill. And it doesn't work otherwise because romance goes into collision. Because as you said earlier, I think you think like I think which you don't think like I think, and that's your problem for you. So you have to learn to think like I think. And that's human, but it's an illusion. It's a grand human illusion. Nobody knows what the other person is thinking until they tell you. And then if you ask them, is now a good time for me to tell you what I'm thinking, then they can stop running their movie and turn 
to you and say, hey, yeah, play your movie on my screen. I would like to watch it. Now, your partners in the process of sharing with each other and just get over it. You have to learn how to do that. It's called a skill. And if you learn a skill and use a skill, hey, Helen gives brain lectures, as you heard, you change your brain. You get a better brain because you start using this prefrontal cortex instead of this limbic system. Yes, so. creating those new neural pathways. It's incredible to think about, like, I think about myself and I've told, said this to my husband. I'm like, I just want to say out loud that three years ago, I would have reacted completely different. I would have had a different experience. I would have been so in my head. And I just, I find myself saying that out loud to him often because it has taken a lot of practice and work and I'm really proud of him. <laughs> so I love, yeah, I love, I love what you said about, hey, it's not always romantic. And I think that's what I was looking for at times was read my mind. Please read my mind. That's more romantic. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? And it's not. That is not not how it's supposed to be. And so I've just found it so much more fulfilling to, yeah, just bring my partner up to speed on who I am. They weren't with me my entire life. So it's been, and it continues to be, you know, a journey in that way. But, you know, your work has been just incredibly impactful for both myself and Krista in our romantic relationships, in our friendships. We're business partners, best friends, co-hosts, and we use your techniques in our conversations and relating. You know, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that we can feel safe enough to grow together, really move through some really hard things together and still come out the other side, really loving each other. Mm -hmm. I'm just thankful and I'm excited for you to continue to change the world and Any way that we can support just bringing this work to more people, we will do. I think it's so important. Just last question. You mentioned just kind of in the beginning this different, not different approach, but I'm sure the way you look at your work is kind of evolving all the time based on Mm -hmm. who you're working with, people you talk to at your workshops. Do you have any like closing remarks on kind of the state of what you're seeing in partnership right now? I will say that last week, Harville told me something about his childhood. We've been married 44 years, mm. and I didn't know 40 it. Years. 40 years. We've known each other so 44. So I, I like to take The Harville, first five, you wouldn't marry me. I like to take him a cup of coffee in the morning. I get up 30 minutes earlier, and I fix myself coffee, and he rather sleep a little bit later than me. And so I'll do Harville. So the last several years, five years or something, when you get out of the shower, there's a coffee cup. Right. (laughs) But only recently did you tell me, Helen, growing up, no one ever did anything like that for me. That was, Mm -hmm. everyone was so busy. I was the last of six. My father died when I was young. My mother, she didn't have time. Then she died when I was five, and no one had time to... Well, I didn't realize that cup of coffee wow. had that meaning for you. So maybe my closing comment is, do keep wondering about your partner, and mm. do ask them questions. Because I knew he loved it. He always said, I really like your, the cup of coffee, but I had no idea it had a childhood component. Wow. Yeah. wow. Thank so you So your that. question, that the last comment is the state of relationships or couplehood today that is true the gen z population they say is the most anxious that's Mm. ever existed 
And so they were very, the tech world. So I think that the tech world is, makes it particularly difficult. Well, sure. there's, that's a piece of it. In fact, the Gen Z, I think there are 2.3 billion Gen Zers in, on the planet. And they now, have a relationship means, wow. with their that's phone. That's the next relationship. And that with their phone and they don't know how to have a relationship and they don't yes. really want to talk very much. So yeah. there's a lot of pieces of data and that are, that's going on right now. One is that the marriage is coming back in style. There, there was, in fact, about two or three decades where the, what is the word used for the uh, couples who live together? The, the, cohabitating the, or? Cohabitating mm-hmm. became larger than marriages. Wow. For about uh, two or three decades, because the the divorce rate had been so high that the the researchers on numbers interpreted that the lack of confidence in marriage as a sustainable system was such that people kept cohabiting. And even the cohabitation age was later. I think it was about 28 or 29 for women and about 30 or 31 for men. But that cohabitation number is getting smaller and the marriage numbers are getting larger. And I haven't seen yet an article explaining what is happening because there's more social chaos now than there was 10 or 20 years ago. But something is happening. The new generation coming up called the Gen Zers and probably are going to be the changers of that. Now, while they they are described as looking at their phone all the time and texting each other rather than talking, the people are studying their values. And the values of the Gen Zers are traditional. That is, mm. they want a job where they feel valued. They don't want a, a mechanical job or like the traditional job. They want a, a good place to work rather than a place to work where you get evaluated, criticized, and so forth. Sure. There are many of the things that the Gen Zers are saying that are the value systems Helen and I are promoting, which is that companies should become relational. And Gen Zers are saying, I want a job where I feel safe and valued instead of just a utilitarian object who gets a salary. And while they are on these things, there is a an interest in marriage in the Gen Zers. They are want to get married. They still have a fear, but there's a want to. And I have a feeling, and Helen, you and I haven't talked about this very much, but then because we don't know much about it, enough about it yet to talk about it much. I have a feeling that something rather wonderful is going to happen with the Gen Z population that will move us back toward a more stable family life, but a transformed work life. And those things will be very important for the future of our species. And so that's about all I know about that now. I just know that there is a shift. It looks like it's moving in a positive direction. Wow. Wow. And there are many people doing the numbers game. Sure, sure. That's promising. And, you know, I think to what you mentioned, Helen, about being in a relationship with your phone, I think that spans many generations right now. The phone is... Oh, yes. For sure, an addiction. It's something that, yeah, I hope we reach a tipping point with that as well, because I think we cannot, we can no longer navigate the world just connected to our phones as a primary source of connection. It's going to just disintegrate just yeah. the mentals, the emotional. It's it's pretty destructive. So 
I'm hopeful that we start to actually live and participate in our lives in a very real way. Yeah. And the good thing about the Gen Zers on their phones is that's a symptom they do want to be in relationship. Mm. Is the way to be in it and how challenging it is. But they, yeah. if they didn't want to be in relationship, they wouldn't text anybody. But they do that's want to so be true. in relationship. And I think it's going to, they, that I think it, it will, every generation has had to come to terms with the technology of that generation. Back when Ford first built their cars in the 1900s, people mm -hmm. thought if you went faster than 14 miles an hour, your blood would boil. So we had to adapt to the fact that moving in a car faster 14 miles an hour is not going to kill you. Then there was a telephone. We had to adapt to that. So technology is here forever. And I think that we are learning that we can make technology our servant rather than yeah. it doing it to us. And I just have a positive hope that the Gen Zers are going to be a transitional, positive transitional generation. Mm, and we want I to contribute as much to that as we can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time and for all of your work right now. I have in front of me getting the love you want, receiving the love you want and making marriage simple. But there are many, many books that you have written that truly is for anyone wherever they are in their journey of relating to others. So highly recommend any of your books. And just thank you so, so much. We appreciate you. And yeah, keep on keeping on. I just love, I love being in the presence of your relationship. I definitely have just absorbed some of your even back and forth and how, how you still practice how you still practice what you teach. Oh yeah, every day, yes. The best. Yeah. Thank you so, so much to Helen and Harville Hendricks. The book is Getting the Love You Want. We also talked about Keeping the Love You Want, and then we also talked about The Space Between. And if you want to learn more about Almost 30, be sure to visit almost30.com. You can explore our little universe there. One of our favorite places to pour into is our membership. So if you're looking for a place to find community of like-hearted people. If you're looking to be supported in the work that you're doing to better know yourself and how to better be in relationship, how to create your dream life truly, this is a community for you. We have workshops every single month with experts and teachers and healers. Krista and I connect with you every month. It's the best. So go to almost30.com slash membership. We love you guys. Thank you so much, Harville and Helen. We will see you on the next one. In the meantime, morning microdose, almost30.com, and we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.